Last time Ian and I were together, we had dinner. No, we had drinks. We had drinks in Toronto uh, when we were cruising the Great Lakes, not Ian, but my husband and I. And I'm delighted that my favorite financial ninja, Ava Lee, is back and taking on um, the Chinese government over a book that really began the book before, didn't it? Or maybe even two books before with her venture really into um, making a movie and reconnecting um, some people in the film industry. The the story arc actually belonged probably four or five books before. Okay. Um, The Goddess of Yantai was when uh, Ava and Pang Fei, her lover, basically started their relationship or their relationship was was underway and uh Ava was in Beijing trying to help uh Bang Fei with an issue and ran into her ex-husband Lao Lao which led to Ava trying to rehabilitate him and the script and the film being made and everything else from there so the story arc probably goes back four or five books I see that um, now that I look back, I've read all of them, but you know, it's a function of old age. I can't always remember all me the time. neither. Me neither, Barbara. <laughs> so if these are in chronological order, did the mountain master of Sha Tin come next? See, now you're testing my memory. It well, came I'm it, just, it, it, I'm it, just it, going it, by what's in the book, and then praise for the Diamond Queen of Singapore, and then praise for the Sultan of Sarawak. But I'm not, let me just look. They the mountain master that. came after the goddess, as did the diamond queen and the sultan. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Right. So Ava Lee, for those of you who don't know her, is um, Chinese. She lives in Toronto because her mother's the second wife of her, um, what is he, Hong Kong-based. Isn't, isn't Ava Lee's father in Hong Kong? Yes. Right. Um, and he's actually taken three wives, but nobody really mentions the Australian wife with two children who are working out there in case they ever need to come into play. But um, and Ava Lee has an older sister called Marion, and her mother is called Jenny, I believe it is. Yes, it is. And so they have settled. They probably touched down in Vancouver, but anyway, they live in Toronto. And Ava Lee's father comes to visit, talks on the phone, supports them financially, and, you know. That's sort of the Chinese way. Ava herself is um, a lesbian um, and is in partnership with at least two other women that we have met along the whole arc of this series. But I think that the most important person in her life for forever, practically, was called Uncle. So why don't you tell us about Uncle? Well, he was... um... When she met him, he had, he was retired from his previous position, which was head of a triad organization. And uh, I wrote a series of four novels about Uncle Prieva. And uh, he was born in China, uh, escaped during the Great Famine, swam to Hong Kong, and made his way in life as the best way he could, and that was with the triads. And but he was he retired when, when she met him, and he was running sort of a debt collection business. And in when they first met, she was had just graduated from from Babson College in Massachusetts with a forensic accounting degree and was set up in Toronto and trying to run a little business 
and it wasn't going very well. And but one of her one of her clients was all of her clients were Chinese, and most of them came to her through her mother, mother's contacts. And and uh, this guy was owed uh, a lot of money from a chicken feet deal that had gone bad. And Ava went to Hong Kong to try to track down and get the money back. And it turned out uncle was chasing, uncle's people were chasing the same guy. And during the course of uh, them trying to track this guy down, Ava was far more successful than uncle's guys were. And uncle almost begged her to join him and, and work with him. Right. And and that's how their relationship began. And she would have been in her mid-20s and he was already into his 60s. So it was a, a grandfather, grand, uh, grandfather, granddaughter type of relationship. But it was one of intense respect either in either direction. And she would never, ever have questioned him. And he would never, ever have done anything to cause her any any discomfort. So it, it's a, it was a wonderful relationship and one of total trust, which is, uh, uh, I, I, as I always wrote about it, um, it always actually made me happy to, to see people trusting each other to that degree. So Ava's mother um, liked to do things that she thought would enrich her children's life, expose them to things. So at one point she gave Ava Lee, I think it was the choice between ballet and martial arts or yeah. piano lessons, I can't remember which, and martial arts. So um, yeah. Ava Lee um, is very good at Bakme, which is a Chinese uh, yep. martial art thing. She's very bright. She's a, transic, a trained forensic accountant, very decisive. And basically she went into the deck collection business with uncle. And that took her all over the world and into all kinds of industries. I love reading these books because I learned so much about places I will never go and about getting inside industries. I mean, we're in the food industry, we're in the fashion industry, we're in all these other wonderful things. But along the, along the way, she acquired large sums of money, or at least she learned how to play with all kinds of large sums yeah. of money. And eventually acquired two partners and they formed a their own corporation and they called it was it three sisters is the three sisters yeah the three, three sisters. sisters and basically they're venture capitalists they have all this money um and they like to um seed various startups or take the whatever yeah. and one of the things which brings us to what we were talking about the movie industry is one of the things they decided to do when Ava Lee wanted to um help Lao Lao recover from being an addict I mean he was in terrible shape but hugely talented, um, and she wanted to bring him back. And, you know, um, so they eventually got involved against the wishes of the Chinese government in making a movie about the Tiananmen Square uh, situation. And after this book opens, because that we, we left them, we left them in Cannes at the film festival where their movie has won the Palme d'Or. And yes. we open in this book where the movie and the stars and the director and all have been nominated for Academy Awards. And take it from there, Ian, what happens? Yeah, so um, Tiananmen Square is the most sensitive and probably restricted subject in, in China. I mean, the, there's nothing on the public record to show it ever occurred. 
Really? Chinese, no, Chinese government goes to enormous lengths to pretend it never happened. And, and uh, they, you're not allowed to have any memorial to it. You're not, a, not allowed to mention it. Uh, they've arrested people in Hong Kong for, for holding memorial services on the date of Tiananmen Square Massacre. So it, it's a horrific, I can't overemphasize how sensitive it is and how overreactive the Chinese government gets when it's mentioned. So making the film, they always knew it was dangerous. So Ava and her partners and the three sisters uh, own business. Her one partner lives in Hong Kong, the other lives in Wuhan. So Ava's very keen to protect them uh, and protect their businesses from the Chinese government going after them. And and so she arranges to finance this film through a Hong Kong law firm, then through a bank in the UK. So, I mean, they're, they're buried. But Lao Lao and, and Chen Chi, who's, who's the producer, uh, are known. So at the end of the previous book, uh, the two of them are murdered in front of a hotel in Taipei. And in this book, Ava has to decide uh, whether she lets the murders sit or whether she tries to avenge the deaths. And she decides it's she has to avenge the deaths. As dangerous as that's going to be, and uh, as fearful everyone is for her, uh, she sets out to do that. She does. So it's basically a story of revenge. But the, the difficulty for Ava Lee is that um, how to identify who gave the order to what are clearly paid assassins or paid agents yeah. that, you know. So it's a story of revenge, but it's, I think it's also a story about the political, what's politically what's going on in China. Because mm -hmm. okay, I, 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 I write about, I mean, how things operate there, which is basically there's no rule of law. Uh, Xi, who's the premier these days, uh, basically decides who lives and who dies. I mean, there are virtually hundreds of senior officials who have disappeared over the last five years. Yeah. When you step out of line, you're gone, never to be seen again. So Ava knew, knows at the beginning of the book, if she does this, she's stepping into very dangerous territory. In fact, an uncle comes to see her, as he does now, in dreams, to talk to her, and emphasizes like two things: one, no loose ends. No, no one can know what you're trying to do. Okay, and secondly, if you set out to do it, you have to do it all the way. And she decides that's what she's going to do. So with, with assistance from some old cohorts, she goes to Taipei to, to hunt down uh, the people who actually were involved there in the murders. And then that leads her to the, the guy who's the head of the Chinese film syndicate. And eventually to the guy who's like one of the most senior people in the entire uh, secret service uh, system in China. 
and she goes after all of them. Um, and it was actually a fun book to write, I have to say, okay? Because uh, I, I, I've, been, I've been watching what's been going on in Hong Kong and China, and it depresses the hell out of me, you know? Because I, I love Hong Kong. I used to spend so much time there. And it was such a vibrant, you know, lively, <laughs> active city. And it's like completely changed. Chinese have put their thumb down and, and no one can say anything or do anything. I mean, there's no, there's no sense of democracy or free speech. It's all gone. So, sorry to ramble. No, you didn't ramble at all. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's a nearly impossible task. Um, it's not so hard in Taipei because, you know, they figure out that the Chinese Secret Service has got a front there um, and they're able to identify um, enough people and, you know, take care of that. But, and it's hard for Abelie because I think up until then, Hasn't she just killed one person herself? I mean, she's not generally. No, she no, she had she'd killed more, but but she okay. in absolute self defense in the middle of a of a of a like a gunfight or, or something yeah. like that. But she'd only ever killed one person in cold blood, right? And it haunted her. And 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 she wasn't sure she could ever do it again. But. The murder of Lao Lao and 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 she was and her friends, her friend Chi was so outrageous, so terrible, uh, because she felt responsible for the film being made. She thought it was on her that the film would never have been made unless she hadn't sent him to rehab. It would never have been made unless she hadn't actually loved the script he wrote and decided to finance it. And 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 then she talked to her friend into producing it, so she she felt obliged, obligated to 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 uh, get revenge. Well, Emily is a consummate deal maker, and in the course of the book, she ends up making various deals, and you know they're international. I mean, she has people she calls on in Canada. She has somebody in this book she calls on in Los Angeles. You know, um, uncle left her um, two or three people that she can call on, um, and they're all very loyal to each other. Um, and then, you know, the triads, Ian knows a lot about the triads. This book is actually called Avery, the Triad Years, but um, they have special names like Mountain Master and um, Red Pole and whatever yeah. it is. So, yeah. you know, I feel as though I've learned triad speak <laughs> in, in yeah. reading these books, which I probably yeah. wouldn't have come across. Um, so, you know, she she doesn't, I mean, she operates alone, but she always has um, cohorts, you know, or people she can direct. But Ava Lee is a very forward thinker. She's always you know, moving ahead with whatever it is she's doing, whether it was recovering money and, you know, earlier books or um, forming a cap, you know, um, a venture capital fund and deciding how to use that money. Even here, as Ian points out, it's her that really gets this movie together. Without her, it would never have been made. And now the consequences are that two people are dead and Emily is now the lover of the film star. Um, so there's, you know, she needs to protect her 
as well. And I was going to ask you, and you don't really bring this up in the book, but you know, we know that North Korea and Russia managed to, um, you know, strike all around the world. But is China? I mean, how safe are they in Toronto from Chinese? Well, so I think it was six months ago. We had a scandal, a political scandal here, about the uh, Chinese government uh, trying to influence political officials. Okay. Um, in Asia, the Chinese reach into every country you can imagine. Um, and, you know, their attitude is that if you were born in China, you're Chinese. It doesn't matter if you immigrated and got a U.S. passport. They think that's like flying a flag of convenience for a merchant ship. Uh, you're still Chinese. So they don't accept the fact you have an American passport as being valid. So if you're an American businessman and you got into a dispute with the Chinese company, and, and particularly if that company has some government contacts, and you were, say, doing business in Hong Kong, staying at the Four Seasons Hotel. Uh, it isn't it isn't uh, unbelievable to think you might wake up and find a guy with a gun to your head in your room and taking you out of the hotel and loading you into a car and driving you over the border into China, where you would be tried. So the Chinese government reaches to Hong Kong, they go into Macau, they, they go into Thailand, they go into all those countries and, and uh, pick, take people out of there and take them back to China. And it, it happens all the time. It hasn't happened in North America yet, yeah, but it's not inconceivable either. Uh, so yeah, the Chinese government is a long reach, a very long reach. And Abe is very conscious of that, you know. Well, you had an incident in Canada where um, purportedly India um, some agents of, I'm trying to remember whether it was the Sikh or whatever it was, anyway, yeah. to assassinate somebody or at least make a move on somebody in Canada and precipitate yeah. the real scandal. Yeah. And that seems to be, you know, increasingly that um, agents are coming into other countries, you know, agents of one government. I'm sure we, we don't have our hands clean by a long shot. We do the same thing. Um, so, you know, part of my Part of what I wondered in the book, although, you know, this is more about revenge, but how much of it was Ava Lee really wanting to protect Bang Fai? It, it was a lot, but she was desperate to protect her lover. So in the context of the book, she strikes a deal which should give her, should give her lover some protection. Ava's protection comes from the fact that no one in China really knows what she did. She goes to extraordinary lengths to keep invisible. So she's a passport with, with a new name. She has she she does everything she can to stay in the background and and not known. Okay. And that's part of that's a large part of the plot, actually, is, is her keeping low, you know. Well, at the end of this, since China is becoming, you know, less less easily visited, less easily penetrated and all. Um, I can imagine that Ava Lee might, you know, be 
moving whatever she's doing in a different direction, maybe more towards Europe again or, um, you know, something. But it doesn't appear to me to be terribly safe for her to, you know, go back to China. No, by the end of the book, I, I think it's obvious that her going back to China is, isn't going to happen. Not not short term anyway. Right. In fact, Asia offers... Probably all of Asia is off limits at, at you know at that point in time. Well, that can certainly change. I mean, you know, but I think it gives you a chance to take her in a new direction if you feel like it. You know, it does. It does indeed. Yeah. yeah. Which um and and I've really enjoyed. I mean, she's been to Italy in the fashion industry. She's been to the Faroe Islands in the food industry. You know, um, there certainly are other places she could go and other things. You know, I sort of miss her when she was chasing the money. I really loved her when she was basically, you know, a debt collector. Well, who who knows, Barbara? That she may return to that. I mean, it was. Um, uh, I, I I loved writing about those businesses because yeah. I I was, well, partially because I was involved in some of them, and and I knew them intimately. But the others I was just interested in, you know, uh, like the fashion industry. I knew nothing about it, uh, but I met some people who did, and I found it really interesting and fascinating. And uh, just having someone tell me, like you watch the uh, the shows from Milan and London every year, the fashion the uh, fashion weeks, and to have someone explain how a runway show actually happens was fascinating because I had no I had no idea. It's like a military, it was military precision and quick. It's, it's, it was fascinating anyway. And oh, the places are, and, 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 you know, as you know, more, I've been to nearly every place I write about. And uh, so the, but the one thing I try to do is not write travelogues. I mean, I'm, I, I try to give the sense of a flavor of a place from my perspective. So it's things that I find interesting or quirky about places then. well that's right i mean that's one of the thing i mean i have never been to sarawak never been to borneo you know not likely to go but now i know a lot more about them than i did before i read ian's books um you know um the philippines yeah well i've been to the faroe Islands several times so that part was okay but you know, um i i really enjoyed your book set in the philippines i thought that was fascinating and one of you know it was a great it was a great plot too um and the plots do i mean the landscape of the book and the the plot the story you know the movement of it really are inextricably entwined in your books um and you know so i've never been sure do you do you think about where you'd like to you know go and write about and then devise a story or do you think up a story and then figure out where to put it well I, I, the only book that happened with where I had a plot and I had, didn't know where to put it was the Imam of Tawi Tawi, which is the one set in the Philippines. Okay. And and that book went through four separate lives before it ended up being the Imam of Tawi Tawi. So I, I had this plot, I had the plot idea, but it wasn't an Ava. It didn't start off as an Ava novel. It started off as a, a standalone spy novel which didn't I thought didn't work. So then I rewrote it, still didn't work. And then I turned it into an Ava, 
and my editor hated it. But we ended up having a conversation and agreeing at some changes. And by the time I finished it, she said, I think it's the best book we've ever done. <laughs> Which was interesting. The other books, though, most of the plots came to me as I was writing a previous book. Ah, so I always had, I always had like a story arc in my head. So when I was writing the first book, the plot for the second came to me as I was writing it. As I was writing the second book, plots for three and four came to me. As I was writing the third, all of a sudden I knew how the sixth book was going to end. Hmm. So there was always, I always had a story arc. It was always like two or three books ahead. And, but they always they came from what I was writing. So when I talked about uh, the Fury, the genesis of that is the goddess of Yantai, which is like four or five books ago. Okay. And I, and I knew where I was going with it. So it's, uh, it's uh, the pleasure for me is taking the trip, you know, just uh, going along with it. So uncle, um, who was elderly when Ava Lee and he got together, uh, eventually developed cancer and, um, and died. Yeah. So we lost him. But what you then did, which I thought was really interesting, is that you then wrote four books about Uncle um, and his life before Ava Lee called The Lost Decades of Uncle Chow Tung. Um, and I really enjoyed those books because I think his story is remarkable. You know, his um, swimming to Hong Kong from China and you know losing one, losing his wife, which was heartbreaking for him. And you know, clawing his way as an immigrant, basically, uh, yeah. into some kind of role in Hong Kong. But now there's a gap that has been left between those books and um, when he met Ava Lee. Isn't there like a 10-year gap here that could be filled? Yeah, it, there's a 10-year gap between when Uncle first meets Ava right, and the first actual Ava Lee novel. Because in my mind, I always had uh, the first Ava Lee novel. Ava's in her like early to mid thirties. Okay. okay. And when she met Uncle for the first time, she was like twenty five. Okay. So they became partners when she was twenty five. The first Ava novel is set. She's like thirty five. So there is a ten year gap, and I've often thought about going back and filling in the ten years with stories of and more stories about Ava and uncle. I think yeah. that would be wonderful. And also because it, China was not as it is at the moment, you could take them, go back to Asia where it's much harder to do it right now. I, I, I could. It, the other thing that would be easier, uh, Barbara, truthfully, is technology wasn't as well developed then. Yes. So I wouldn't have to worry about texting or... Whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, they could actually use a telephone again or whatever. Right. Well, Ava Lee really lives on her phone. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, she's, I love the way she's constantly, you know, booking reservations and booking hotels and everything is first class with Ava Lee because she has lots of money. So, you know, she's hanging out in the Mandarin Orientals and she's flying first yeah. class, and, you know. Well, um, you know, like the debt collection business in Asia is, uh, you keep 30% of what you what you collect. So when they were going after some large debts, mm -hmm. 
So yeah, she she made a lot of money. And 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 lives well. She does. And then she and her two partners and the three sisters, they have done very well also. They have. You know, three so good, I mean three three good business women. Right. But to finance a movie, you know, that's an extremely expensive thing to do. And one of the dilemmas that Ava Lee has is that, you know, A, they've hidden from China who who they are through a, you know, cutout company and so forth. But there's the risk of exposure, but there's also a risk if they decide to walk away from it all of losing an extraordinary amount of money. Yeah. Um, so there's some, you know, there's some really interesting moral questions in this book, but Ava's always managed to stay aligned with the people she works with. She's she's really, in the end, not at cross purposes with her partners, with uncle, yeah. whatever. Probably her biggest conflict is with her mother. Um, you know, but they seem to have mellowed slightly too. Do you know I've I've had I've had Toronto is is full of second wives, okay, and sec, second families. The Toronto private school system would collapse if they weren't here because they uh, uh, because the, the the second wives go the thing they can extract from the their, the husbands is the full support for their children, the best schools, the best this, the best that. And, 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 uh, and Ava's mother is, I mean, excellent at doing that or was excellent at, at doing that. And, and so when, and then the, the children, you know, you, you heard, you hear about the tiger mothers. Well, the fact that Ava went to back martial arts, uh, isn't actually that unusual, but she she would also have learned probably learned have to learn a musical instrument. Okay, taken Mandarin lessons. I mean, she would have been busy four or five nights a week on the stuff her mother was organizing. And uh, I love the relationship that Ava and her mother have. Uh, her mother is flawed, and Ava sees every flaw. And never says a word about any of it. Uh, the Chinese, in general, in general, not specifically, but in general, uh, tend to be anti-gay. Uh, and but her mother knows that uh, Ava's gay, and they their relationship is such that they never have to talk about it. Her mother never mentions it. Ava never has to talk about it. They both understand that they know without saying anything, and they just, that's how they exist. And they love each other to death, and that, that's the relationship. And uh, so, in, in a sense, Ava tolerates her mother, okay, uh, while she loves her. Uh, but she knows her mother would lie down in front of a bus for her if push came to shove, and that's really all that matters at the end of the day. So. Well, what about her relationship with her father, Marcus, who is still living with his first wife and his first set of children in Hong Kong? Uh, that's more strained. Mm. Um, she can accept, well, she's been raised with knowing no other kind of relationship. So for her, this is normal, like being part of this being part of a second family is normal, and it comes attached with rules and regulations, okay? Not written, but understood. 
And she she knows all of that, you know. And so it 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 is not un it is not uncommon for men who have money in Hong Kong to have multiple wives and multiple families. And it's not uncommon for the families to all know each other and to actually interact. Okay. So there's uh, uh, I, I, I don't know, perhaps it's the same way with the Mormons in Utah. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't know that much about it. I mean, there are certainly, um, you know, other cultures where there are multiple wives, you know. Um, in, in the Chinese culture, it, I mean, it's it's a very old tradition. It's a very, I mean, Judge D, I still remember, because that's actually most of what I knew about China for years. And there were indeed white and official concubines, not just yes. wives. Yeah. So yeah. you yeah. could have quite a household of women. Barbara, and, and in Hong Kong, it was legal until 1959. I mean, there were, it was actually in the law that was permitted to happen. And there were rules and regulations governing it, okay? And I know that because I was doing an event in Toronto and a woman stood up and said to me that she loved my books, but she thought the whole thing of the second wife's was ridiculous. And a Chinese woman stood up and said, no, it's not ridiculous, I'm a second wife. And as Ian describes, it is completely accurate. So anyway, that was a strange moment, I have to say. I'm sure it was. But in one book, Ava Lee actually goes back to um, Hong Kong to and gets involved with her family there. And one of her partners, Amanda, I think it is, is married to her her brother. Her uh, half-brother, yeah. Michael, first wife's yes. son. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they they do. It's it's strained, but they do interact with each other. So, so that uh, was that was. I, I have some scenes or set pieces throughout the books that I particularly love, and I loved writing them, and I was so happy writing them. And one is at Amanda's wedding, right? Uh, which is the two sisters of Borneo. That's the book, and the the opening scene is this wedding. And and uh, her father's first wife is there. Elizabeth is her name. And Ava's there, and she's actually the maid of honor for Amanda. And it's a really everyone's uncomfortable. Elizabeth's sisters were there, and they hate Ava. They hate her being there. They can't understand why Amanda would let this happen. And 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 Elizabeth knows that in the pre previously Ava had saved the family's business and Elizabeth actually gets up and addresses the entire wedding party to say I accept and Ava I respect her ba 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 and I loved writing that it was a very mm -hmm. powerful scene for me well there are many wonderful scenes in the books and I have Truly enjoyed them. There are, um, I found a spread in the back with covers. So we start with the water rat of Wan Chai, right? Yep. So there's one, two, three, four, five. Uh, so there are 15. This is the 16th. And then there are four books with uncle. So yes. if you've never read one, you don't have to start with the first one, but it is kind of better if you track Ava Lee. I mean, Every, every story is complete, so it isn't as though 
the mysteries carry over. Are there any cliffhangers or whatever? But I do think that the development of the relationships and all the rest of it is better if you start at the beginning. But I like the way that Uncle has his four stories. So now I think there's a real possibility that there could be a set of Avalese before the water rat of Wan Chai and after call, yeah. Uncle. Ret, ret, retro Ava. Retro Ava and Uncle. Yeah. Right. And you know, you're right. It it does solve it makes it easier not to have to deal with super technology. It makes it easier not to have to guess what's going on in the political world. Um, you know, there's some thriller writers here who are tracking Brad Thor just, I'm sorry, Brad Taylor just wrote a book that is so on the edge of the war in the Ukraine and whatever that at any moment his book before it published could have become, you know, contradicted by world yeah. events. Yeah. But, um, and that's a risk if you're writing about China right now. Yes. But if you're writing an older China, um, then you aren't going to aren't going to face that. One of the things you mentioned um, is that there's really no distinction now between the Communist Party and the Communist government. I guess there used to be some kind of, you know, at least... Pretense. Perhaps. Yeah, pretense. But now it's not the same. And basically, she has set himself up as a dictator for life in the same way that, I mean, anybody who believes that the upcoming Russian election is going to actually be an election yeah, you know, yeah. is ridiculous, which is something I hope we get to avoid here in this country. No, but, no she, she, she wants to actually has been trying to get the title chairman. Mm -hmm. And after Mao, the party... Retired. Basically said we will never have another chairman because right. Mao had gone nutty at the end. But she she wants he wants to be chairman. So and he's getting older and no telling you know how nutty he may get. And exactly you know I remember Stalin. I mean we've seen that people who have who are dictators with absolute power generally don't end well and generally do kind of go off the rails with no one to check them. Yes which uh, is terrifying in a great many countries, and the possibility of is terrifying. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. So um, anyway, why don't we see if Patrick has questions from the audience, because we have really said all we can say, but except that it was interesting to spend more time with Beijing, because it's always just been kind of a place that Italy has gone past or through, yes. but she's never actually spent time there. I have been to Beijing, but it was long ago in 1997 which is my only trip inside China. And yeah. um, so it was fun to, you know, to read about it and recognize some things. Thank you. Yeah, so we do have some, some good questions that have come in. Great. Um, one of them is, could you please elaborate on why you chose a female protagonist in the midst of a tri in the midst of a triad from a culture where fem females are traditionally not as valued as males, much less in triads? That's really a good question. So it, it, just excuse me one second. Um, people have this misconception about women in Asia. Okay. Uh, they they think that they're uh, somehow, they kowtow. Okay. And when I first started to do business there in 80, 89, okay, you, you'd go to these large companies and they always had a vice president who, uh, was in charge of enter entertaining the foreign visitors, and then you know, the, and all the all the staff were there. But 
you'd be there for two or three days and always in the background, usually there were these young women and they were taking notes and they were being just attentive. And then it came the last day of, of your trip and you're sitting down to, to actually conduct a business deal. And you start to negotiate and invariably the president or the chairman of the company would turn to the young women and say, well, what do you think? Because in reality, these young women were like almost running the company. Okay. But they're but because they're self-effacing and overly polite, uh, people misinterpret that as a weakness or as not having not having status. And that's not true. They they had enormous power. Uh, a woman ran Hong Kong during the last 10 years when the Brits were there. It, it wasn't the Brits who were running Hong Kong, it was a woman. And and uh I, and and I read an article about her in the South China Morning Post, you know, sort of a day in the life of this woman, but how she would get up in the morning, put her husband's toothpaste on his toothbrush, lay out his clothes, prepare his breakfast, sort of get his lunch ready, and then she would go off to run Hong Kong. And I loved the juxtaposition of that, that you could be the two, the two things. So... Ava is more North American now, in my mind, or was more, 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 she, she had a North American sense of herself as a woman, okay? And, but a, a Chinese sense of how to relate to people in terms of the respect, okay? And so that, that was the balancing act. Uh, the reason I made her a woman because I had no choice. I never thought about it. When I sat down to write the first book, I was just out of hospital, like two days out of hospital. I was highly medicated. And I decided I wanted to write a book. And I've never plotted or planned a book. I just sit down and start to write. And I sat down, I started to write. And I found myself writing about Ava Lee. The name came from nowhere. And I'm just, she was there. And I was sort of subconsciously, you know, I was subconsciously streaming the, the my, my, my years of working in Asia, the businesses I've been involved in, experiences I had, but also my respect for women combined with my love of Chinese culture and history. So it was a real mishmash. So I never really thought about it, about writing. It wasn't deliberate. I didn't deliberately decide to write about a woman. It was spontaneous. It was just there, and that's what happened. So, um, you've you've mentioned you've addressed this a little bit already, but there's a question from Jan. She'd like to know: Are you able to discuss why this book will be the last? Oh, uh, as Barbara and I were saying earlier. No, it may let's not, not be the last. Yeah, let's not do that because um, there's there's stuff going on in the world that makes it difficult sometimes for writers to write about who they aren't. Um, but I think that Ava Lee and her tenure gap, there are ways to um, publish so, more of the stories. Yeah. And, um, Ian and I will talk those over because I'm not prepared to give up on Ava Lee. <laughs> it's brought me enormous pleasure and taught me a lot. 
over the period of time that Ian and I have worked together. Ian was a writer in residence for us at the Poison Pen some years ago. Um, so, you know, we really have spent quite a lot of time with Ava Lee and yeah. with Ian. Yeah, we have. Um, one thing, I, I, for, for people who have not read the books, one thing I'd like to say is I work very hard at not being repetitive. Uh, I don't recycle plots and I don't recycle care. I've, I've tried to keep the stories and my characters as fresh as possible and, and, and changing constantly. So sub characters come and go all the time. And, and uh, because I, I don't want to be bored when, when I'm writing this stuff. I mean, I, I want to be energized and enjoying it. And sort of writing the same stuff over and over again would bore me to tears. So I've worked very hard to keeping the books fresh. Okay, let's see here. Um, here's a question. Uh, do you train in martial arts or did you? If so, which forms? I did not train and I would be absolutely hopeless at any form of martial arts. Uh, when I decided that she would she would have a martial art. I, I did some research at the phone back by, and that's what I've used. And I've actually had emails from back by instructors thanking me for writing about it and saying that the my descriptions are fully accurate. So that which pleased me no end, because I, I do strive to be accurate. Oh, Ava Lee is a small woman, and... You know, she's in a lot of very dangerous places, and it's great that she has um, a way of defending herself and occasionally striking out. Well, and, and, and back my truthfully, is the most lethal form of martial arts. I mean, it's strictly designed to inflict damage. It's, it's not a defensive uh, martial art. And I get, again... Uh, I get emails from readers, and they're mainly female. When she doesn't get into a scrap in a book, people are invariably disappointed because <laughs> they want to see her take out, take down some 250-pound guy who's been harassing her. Well, that's about it for really the questions. I mean, you addressed some of these. Are you working on a new series or a standalone? Um, is there anything? I am. I, I, I've written the first novel in a new, what could be a new series, and I, I'm working the second one. But 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 Barbara's got my my interest peaked to uh, to fill in some gaps there. It's a purely selfish thing. I'm not prepared to give up a character that I really love. So we'll figure something out. Um, there are various roads to publishing today. Um, yeah. And, you know, many of them deserve to be explored. Um, I see every day something new popping up. And to give you an idea, <clears throat> when I got a um, an email from Edelweiss, which is a place where publishers put all their stuff, there were 1,700 plus books released last week alone. Oh so my gosh. I know. Um, and nearly 300 books just of adult fiction. So there's a just an absolute ton of, um, of books being released by from multiple sources. And um, I think that's a healthy thing. Although I have to tell you, 
I am, I just can't keep up with it all. I mean, I don't know about yeah. you, Patrick, but I feel as though, you know, I'm lucky to, to even cope with, you know, 5% anymore of, so. Um, and, and you're a speed reader. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's only, there's only so much that, you know, you can, you can read and promote to your customers. And yeah. you know, the, the buzzword you know, for a good bookstore is you have a curated collection. It isn't just, you know, stuff. Publishers don't just send you their bestsellers. In theory, your whole staff um, contributes to it, which is certainly true in our case. We have various staff members who are interested in different things and who order books. But, you know, you can't embrace, even a giant Barnes & Noble can't really embrace the totality of what's out there. But I think it's very good news for authors that, you know, your channels have multiplied and there are so many ways to reach readers now, not necessarily through bookstores. Although I'd like to think <laughs> that our readers actually reach us. I mean, reach books through us, but um, but I see things that people order um, that wouldn't occur to us to actually have carried in the store. Do you see that, Patrick? You know, it's really yeah. interesting. You know, the, the range of books that we sell uh, and that's all customer driven. Um, so, yeah. you know, it's it's very hard to determine anymore exactly how things go in the store. But we do have staff, what we call staff pick shelves. And we do recommend um, a range of paperbacks every month. And we do highlight event books and so forth. So, you know, the average reader can probably do very well um, on what we what we do cover. And they have the freedom to go to other other sources like bookshop.org, which is a very, very useful amalgamation of independent bookstores. Um, yeah. and it's a revenue sharing thing. So if one of the Poison Pen customers wants something that we don't have, they can go to Bookshop and order it. And we get like, I don't know, 10% of it or something. But eventually there's a pool of money that comes to you at some you know specified interval. And that's really helped bookstores all around to, you know, to do well. But it's very good for customers, too. It's an easy place to go. Anyway, Ian, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. More and will you, be revealed after we figure out what comes next. But um, I hope that if you've never read Abel Lee, that you will go back and do that. And if you have, this is the most recent book, The Fury of Beijing. So thank you very much for joining us this evening, everybody. Appreciate your taking the time to watch it with us. Ian, always a pleasure, my dear. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you very much. Patrick, you thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Patrick. Good night, everybody. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.